Good morning, church. Hey, man, what a privilege it is to be with you this morning. A great time to come together to worship our risen Savior as we do every Sunday. But certainly we worship Him every single day of our life. We want to give Him the glory, the accolades that are due for all that He has done for us. Uh, It's a joy uh, to serve a risen Savior and know that how uh, He blesses us so richly each and every day. I want to say a welcome to our guests that are here this morning. Thanks for joining us and being a part of Crosspoint. Our hope, of course, is uh, if you have uh, been looking for a church home today, maybe you could say you found it. We'd love for you to be a part uh, of our Crosspoint family here. All of us have made a decision to make Jesus Christ Lord of our life, and we've decided to surrender our gift sets to Him and say, God, use us in your story how you see fit. We want to be a part of what you're doing in the world, to spread that message of hope to those around us who desperately, desperately need it. And so we invite you into that story as well. Uh, As has already been said, please check the uh, bulletin. There are lots of things going on, and especially today, lots of things kicking off, different ministry aspects, ways that you can be involved. And uh, certainly one of those is Connect Group. We want you to be in a Connect Group. That is the expectation here at Crosspoint. It is our teaching model, and so we want you to get involved. There's a couple things that will happen when you do that. One, you're going to get deeper into the Word of God and talk a little bit about how uh, practically life plays out based upon the study that you're doing. Secondly, you're going to connect with other people here at Crosspoint, maybe some folks that you didn't know, and so it's going to be a great opportunity to learn different ways uh, to, to not only get into the Word, but also to get to know other people. You can... Uh, If you haven't signed up yet for Connect Group, it's not too late. You can go right out here to the wall. As has already been mentioned, uh, it says Connect on top, and there are lots of cards out there for the uh, Connect Groups that exist. Uh, All the contact information and the day of the week it meets, etc., are on the card. And so we invite you to please do that and be a part of uh, that learning uh, process. This morning, we're going to start a brand new series called Flip the Script, and we're going to be uh, using this for several weeks as we dig into the Word and really uncover the lies that Satan tells us. And he says, this is your script, I want you to read it, but we know that God gives us a totally different script. Sometimes we buy into what Satan is telling us, and uh, we know that God is truth, we know that he's got our game plan, but sometimes our humanness takes over and we buy the script that Satan is telling us. And so we're going to take several weeks to unpack the lie uh, that is part of that process. Hope you've got your Bibles this morning that you'll turn with me to Philippians 4 and Genesis chapter 3. We'll be there in just a few moments. You'll want to write in the margin. Uh, Donnie, I'm going to ask you to come on up the stage uh, with me just for a few moments. We are very blessed to have uh, Donnie Anderson and his family with us today. They are the uh, missionaries we support in Honduras. And uh, there is a meal at 12 o'clock in the youth room, or 1230, right after uh, second service. Um, And we want uh, to honor them in that process and get to know them better. And uh, so thanks for joining us this morning, Donnie. Appreciate you being here. They do a lot of great work in Honduras, and we need to give them and God the glory in that process. Uh, I thought it was appropriate that you'd be on stage with me today talking about Flip the Script because you live in a different part of the world than we are used to, and certainly culture is a little different, things are different, and I wanted to just kind of shoot two or three questions to you this morning to kind of let us know as kind of your support group in numerous ways uh, what's going on in Honduras. So I'd like you to tell us a little bit about, uh, Brad, can you give me your microphone by the way? Sorry, Donnie, hold that. Thank you. Um, What are some things that are going on right now with the church in Honduras? Um, well, we just, just we just finished uh, building a new church, a satellite church up in the Colonia, where we're building uh, 300 homes. 
Um, they were a part of it, the group that came down, um, and monetarily they supported it also. It was, uh, it's an open-air concept for now until we get the money to completely finish it, but the church itself is growing. Uh, about three years ago, we had a, a change in uh, the pastor and everything, and the new pastor we have, and you are supporting the, uh, the youth minister. Yeah, the youth minister, Eduardo, really good guy. Anybody that's been down there knows him, and you are supporting him, and he is doing fabulous work. The kids go out every Saturday and go minister and go or go do work or sometimes go have fun. <laughs> but they are uh, they're really growing, and, and your support is really helping those folks a lot up there. You mentioned um, the new church plant and then the 300 homes. Are you guys were, were building those homes for the, the families? Yes, yes, and y'all have been a part of that for the last five years. Uh, we have a community of 300 homes. We've built personally probably 40, and uh, these are families that either were renting and, you know, whenever they rent, then some of the money that they use for that can't be used for food and you know, it, it's a hardship on them to have to pay rent. And some of them were living in, you know, deplorable conditions, really. And uh, y'all, y'all have helped support 40 houses being built. And in that community, we're going to build a new school. So with that, there's going to be 300 homes. We're expecting around mm, 1,800 to 2,000 people to live there. And this church is the center of the whole community. So we've, uh, we're going to make a big effect there with the church. That sounds like a great game plan. And is the school already built, or is it going to be built? Is that a future project? It's, it's the one last thing we have left. We have to build the school in the community, and then the mayor is going to give us the old school, and we're going to start a technical school at that and that's part of a long-term uh, thing. It's, it's a three-phase plan. The first phase was to help the kids and the families uh, health-wise and nutrition-wise and, and things like that. And now we're into the education phase. And we're hoping to educate the children and educate them not only you know, mentally but spiritually. Because all of our children receive spiritual uh, work every week, they receive food every day, and in the long term, hopefully the technical school will produce things that will help support the whole program so that eventually we hope that we're able to walk away and the Hondurans can run it on their own. They are running the daycare, they are running the school, everything like that is run completely by Hondurans, and we hope one day to be able to just hand the whole system over to them and let them take it. Oh, wow. What a, what a great game plan that the church would be the center of the community. That's the way it should be, right? Uh, and so kudos to you guys for laying out a plan and then moving forward in that plan, especially with the future uh, of uh, other homes being built, families coming in. Now, out of the number of people moving into the neighborhood, do you have an estimate for kids that would be involved in that process that the school will affect and that you guys will eventually affect as well? Yes. Um, usually the family... And this is sad, but the core family is usually a woman. And then uh, they have a lot of babies because that is their retirement plan. There is no Social Security in Honduras. There is no uh, uh, WIC or any sort of support 
for any of the older people. So what happens is they have five or six kids, usually with five or six different men, and then they expect them to take care of them when they get older. That's the reason they have so many. So we're expecting, you know, that number, 2,000, will probably be at least three-quarters children. So wow. 1,500, 1,800 that's a, that's a big job for the church there to, oh, yeah. to train and take care of. But I know you guys are up for the challenge and yes. uh, with the power of the Holy Spirit in that process, Amen. you guys are going to make a big footprint there. And you already have. Amen. Last question, how, how could we help you as the church uh, even more effectively coming in the future? I know we've got a group that goes down every summer. Um, with that and beyond, what are ways that the church here could help support you and the church there in Honduras? Well, um, we... we we work in correspondence with uh, Christian Relief Fund. Uh, each child, uh, if you sponsor a child, is $35 per month per child, and that provides uh, a meal every day, uh, spiritual uh, training. Either if they're at the daycare, they receive it every day, and those are kids two to. Well, now we're keeping them even before and after school they come, so. They receive the spiritual training every day. If not, if they're in the public school system that we have, which is 400 kids we have in that, then they, once a week, the pastor's wife goes to each school and does a Bible class with them. She can't speak about Church of Christ, but she can speak about Jesus, and that's Amen. what's important. Mm-hmm. So every week she goes and has a, a teaching in, in the public schools, and she gets an hour every week. And then, uh, so you can support the children. If you want to support myself and my wife, you can do that also through CRF. Um, and, but the big thing that y'all do is whenever y'all come down as a group. When you come down as a group, you develop a relationship. And if you are supporting a child, we'd be more than happy to take you to their home, meet their family, do anything that you would like to do, take them to the park, anything to develop that relationship because that's a big thing for them to know that there's a person that doesn't know them but loves them because of Jesus and because of what Jesus asked us to do. So writing the letter to them and them writing a letter to you is a big deal. It, it really shows them that the world isn't the little microcosm they live in. It's not campamento. And, you know, they, there is hope. There's hope that in the future they'll be able to get out of that or come back to, to Campamento as a person that's educated and can help the community. So those are the ways that you can help us. Well, Donnie, thank you for being with us today, and we look forward to lunch later and just more information about Honduras and the work that you're doing there. Um, thank you so much for the hard work that you're involved in there. You're loved and appreciated. Let, before you leave, let's pray for you and uh, the work that's going on there. <laughs> Father, we come to you right now just uh, on the behalf of the church in Campamento and Donnie and the work and others that are doing there, the families that are being affected for the cause of Christ. We know that the Holy Spirit is powerful and working in that place. We pray, God, that you will continue the partnership with Cross Point and Campamento, the church, and Donnie, and just uh, bless all that is going on so that your name will be known, so that hope will be realized, and so that those that feel lost and helpless will feel found and, and helped by Christ and what he's done for us. God, we'll give all this to you through your son, Jesus. In his name we pray, amen. Amen. Thank you.
Well, we are going to dive into this idea of flip the script this morning, and John was right on with some of the comments that he made. There are different questions that we're going to answer along the way. These, these questions are comments that Satan tell you and I along the way that sometimes we buy into. And the first one that we're going to look at today is that you just don't have what it takes. Now, there are moments in your life when you should listen to that comment because it's just not right for you to try to barge in and take over or to do some things in life. Maybe you're not the person that needs to be doing this. I'm thinking about a story when we first brought Tanner home, our firstborn from the hospital, uh, our very first kiddo, and so we're experiencing all of that comes with that uh, at home for the first time, trying to learn uh, how to feed Tanner, uh, what the sleeping arrangements are. Mom and dad don't have any sleep going on, and so we're cranky and irritable. And I remember the nurse showing Robin how to breastfeed at the hospital and how that should all take place. Uh, and so we got home, and there was uh, a colicky baby somewhat. Uh, he was screaming and crying every night, and the, the sleeping patterns weren't set. Robin was trying to learn how to do the feeding thing. And about week two, oh, Tim had just had about enough of the screaming and the crying. And so uh, as my personality does, um, one night I went back to the bedroom and opened the door, and I said, I'm going to show you how to do this. <laughs> Let me tell you something. I don't have what it takes to feed a baby, okay? And so all three of us were crying that night. It was not a good evening. There's sometimes you should listen to, you don't have what it takes. Now, we're not going to go down that path today. We are going to look at when Satan tells you that, when the enemy tells you that, and it's just not true. Because there are moments in time when we end up believing the lie, and it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. In other words, we lean into that lie and we say, okay, that must be true for me because that's how it's unfolding. And you know that when you believe a lie long enough, it tends to become truth for you at least in your own life. It changes your focus in life. It changes the way that you talk and think. It changes the way you prioritize things. It changes the way you live when you believe the lie. It will change you entirely. Now, there are small untruths that we are told as young people growing up, and sometimes we hang on to those. We kind of believe the lie, if you will. Uh, I'll give you a couple of examples. One would be, uh, when you were young, your mom or dad probably told you you need to eat your carrots because it will help your eyesight. You will have better eyesight if you eat carrots. Well, that's just not true. Now, they are full of vitamins and they are good for you, but they're not going to improve your eyesight. So where did this idea come from? It comes out of World War II when the Allies had invented radar. They put it on airplanes and the pilots had better visual acuity because they could see where the enemy was, but they didn't want the Axis powers to realize that. And so during the radio discussions, it was the discussion about our pilots have been eating carrots so they can see better. And that's kind of where that emerged from. Or the age-old one, especially here in Texas, I'm sure that you experienced this as a kid. Mom always said, you you have to wait to go swimming 30 minutes after you eat, right? Yep. That's just not true. And some moms here in the audience just said, oh, yes, it's true. My my kid's in here. That's true. Don't say that. But it's true. It's one of those uh, untruths that we've kind of latched on to, and we've believed it over the years, but it just isn't true true. And when everybody believes that untruth, it's kind of hard to be the only one in the room to raise your hand and say, um, no, because groupthink is powerful. 
But when everybody believes one thing, it's hard to be the one that thinks differently in the room. And the longer you believe a lie, the longer it takes for you to let go and accept the truth in the moment. But have we in our lives, have we believed significant lies that have some more significant implications for us in our life? I mean, it's, it's one thing to say, you know, you need to wait before you swim after you eat. It's, it's one thing to buy into that untruth. But what if you buy into the lie that you're just not good enough? You're just not ever going to be smart enough. You make too many mistakes in your life. You're never going to change. I mean, God really is done with you. You've messed up so many times. Nobody cares about where you're at in your life. You might as well just give up. You don't have what it takes. And if you believe those lies, then you give them tremendous power in your life, which is exactly what the enemy wants to happen in your life. Now, we have an enemy, that is for sure. And the Bible tells us that he's come to steal, kill, and destroy. John chapter 8 44 says he is the father of all lies, that when he speaks, he is speaking his native tongue. And so when we listen to the enemy lean in and tell us you just don't have what it takes, know that he is lying. Don't buy it. But he leans in and he whispers, you don't have any smarts. You're just not good enough. You don't have any self-control. You're not very patient with the people that you come in contact with. You don't have any stick to You don't have any time to be a disciple because you work all week and then you've got football on the weekend. You don't even know what you're doing. You're just guessing as you roll through life. And it doesn't even have to be about you. It could be about someone close to you. For instance, when your child uh, makes a poor decision, even your adult children make poor decisions, the enemy leans in in your ear and he says, that's your fault. If you'd just been a better parent, <laughs> that wouldn't have happened. You just don't have what it takes. And that's the lie that he continues to try to sell us. And then as John mentioned, we, we get into this comparison game with, with those that we run in life with. There's a lot of social media out there. You and I are connected to Facebook and Instagram and, and different social media types. And we'll see that stock family. I've called them that before. The stock family roll by on some pictures. The perfect family. One boy, one girl. Nice little puppy. He's doing what it should. Everyone's debt-free and smiling. It's, it's a great picture. And as you observe other families that you are connected with, or maybe even some you don't know, and you're looking at those pictures or those quotes or what they're doing in life, the enemy leans in and he says, that'll never be you. That'll never be you. I mean, you're not that creative. You're certainly not that photogenic. You'll never be that fun. And you and I begin to buy the lie that the enemy is feeding us. 
This has been going on for a long time. Satan has been around for a long time. Our first text is in Genesis chapter 3. When we take a look at Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, you know this story. It's, it's been one of those that have been told over and over and over. But I wanted to visit it today because it, it simply puts a punctuation mark on how early the enemy has been working on you and me. You see, the garden existed uh, as Eden. And the Bible says that God would even come down in the cool of the day and walk with Adam and Eve. Can you imagine that? That must have been incredible to communicate and have that type of relationship with the Creator. Everything and everyone got along in the garden. There was plenty of food to eat. There was no unkindness. Everyone just loved one another in the Creator. But then Satan came along in the form of a snake, chapter 3 and verse 1. And it says, The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. And one day he asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees of the garden? And he's already starting to question what God wants to happen. I mean, are you really that naive, Eve? Really? Verse 2. Of course we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. God said, you must not eat or even touch it. If you do, you will die. And the enemy is already laughing. (laughs) You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it and you will be like God knowing both good and evil. The woman was convinced. You see, the enemy has been on the prowl for a long time, feeding us lies that contradict what God has already told us about who we are. And in those moments where we buy the lie, men and women act a little differently. Guys well, I'm very familiar with because I happen to be one, we blame our faults on other things. There's no way it could be my fault. I mean, officer, I never even saw the speed limit sign. I mean, the list goes on and on and on of things that we blame our poor decision-making on. Women tend to internalize those faults. They blame themselves. Man, if I had just been a better mom, he would have turned out differently. If I would have made this decision a little bit different, he would still love me. And the list goes on on things of how we struggle and buy into the lie that Satan tells us each and every day. But we play that comparison game, don't we? We look around to those who are living life and who are living it out in such a way that we think, man, we're just not keeping up. Comparison's been going on since time began as well. You take a look all the way back to Genesis chapter 16. Abraham and Sarah can't have the baby that's been promised them by God. And so what does Sarah do? Takes things in her own hands. She says, Abraham, my husband, why don't you take my maidservant and you guys have a baby together? Maybe that's how it's going to happen. Ishmael is finally born. And the Bible says Sarah becomes bitter. Why? Because she's playing the comparison game. Oh, she can have a baby. I can't. Or Genesis chapter 29, the sisters, Rachel and Leah, are married to Jacob. 
Leah's the older. She tries and tries to please her husband, and the, the Bible says that she had no joy in her life because she was constantly comparing herself to her sister. And in her eyes, she thought she wasn't measuring up. You and I do that on social media today. We scroll through and look, through, look at other families and what they're doing and what they're about and the pictures they're taking, and we begin to take a back seat because the enemy's leaning in and asking us to follow the script, to compare ourselves. And what we fail to realize at times is that the things we see in social media, the things we see on the news, the things we see generally outside of our circle are the best versions of the folks that we're looking at. They've waited to take that picture till the baby wasn't crying or the hair was just right or any number of things that make it even better. My son Garrett, I've heard him and his friends say, ooh, that is Instagram worthy. They'll take a picture and they'll post it to Instagram, showing off maybe something that they're doing. And we do that each and every day as we look at all that social media that comes our way. It's kind of like getting that Christmas letter. I don't know if you've got families that send you a Christmas letter once a year displaying all the things that they've done this year, and you think, man, I've got to get out of the house. <laughs> They're way ahead of me. I mean, these people have, you know, released two humpback whales to the ocean. They've traveled to the moon and back and cured cancer. I mean, it's crazy. You're just like, man, I'm getting left behind. But when we look at that feed every single day, it's like getting that Christmas letter every single day. I'm just not measuring up. We play that comparison game. In the 1990s, Newsweek did a series of articles called The Mommy Wars. They coined that term. It was the idea of comparing stay-at-home moms versus moms who decided to leave the home and start a career, get out into the workforce. And they did several articles talking about the differences in the lifestyles. Well, today that phrase has been reborn into this passive-aggressive behavior that moms and some dads use in social media. Uh, They try to one-up one another in a very humble way. Way It's called Humble Brag is the title that it's been given. Uh, Sally Schultheis uh, did a study and wrote uh, an idea about what is going on in our current culture. Humble Brag, motherhood's newest pastime. I'll give you an example of one of the things that could be pulled off as a humble brag. Here it is. It's impossible to get Jake out of the house this morning to go to school... All he wants to do is play the piano. You see how that works? Oh, my son goes to school too, but I don't have a child prodigy. <laughs> Playing the piano, let's go to school. And so we, we've, if we dig into what these really are, we can kind of unpack and understand what is a humble brag and then what is reality in the moment. I've got a couple I'd like to do for us like that. They'll be on the screen. Let's look at the first one. We are going too many directions and are taking a break from baseball season this year. Hashtag, let kids be kids. The reality is this. I miss baseball signings for my son, and we had a huge fight over it. Hashtag, too busy Facebooking. (laughs) Or this next humble brag. We are taking a stand. No more iPad for the kids for a while. Hashtag, family time. When in reality... 
My kids dropped the iPad and broke it. I lost my temper. Hashtag, I sounded demon-possessed. <laughs> we struggle with the comparison thing, don't we? We want to be the best version of everybody in the room. And we're talking about these things not to make us feel bad or to feel worse, but I want to be free. How about you? I want to lean into what God is telling me and not the script that Satan talks to me about each and every day. I mean, I've got friends who the last thing they do every single night, they lay in bed, backs to each other with their cell phones, scrolling through all the social media before they go to sleep. So right before they go to sleep, they can see one more time what they're not doing (laughs) in the world. I mean, it is not healthy to give our heads and our hearts so much comparison. If you feel you don't have what it takes, then I want to encourage you to limit that type of stuff. Squeeze it down. There's no reason to look at your phone every four seconds. I mean, understand that you are valuable because God said you were valuable. You are Instagram worthy because of what Jesus Christ did for you on the cross. You are worthy. And we do this with our church family as well, don't we? We come in every Sunday morning. Who knows what happened in the car on the way here, but by the time you get to the front door, everybody's smiling. Here, we're all ready to go. We come in and we say, hey man, how things are going? Fine, everything's great. You get your cup of coffee, you come in and sit down, and guess what? Not everything is great. Because you're dealing with sickness in the family. You're dealing with a sudden death of a loved one. You're at the end of your rope with your kids. Not sure what to do. And you and I end up playing that comparison game that Satan so desperately wants us to play. Because here's how it kind of goes down. When we start to believe the lie, this is what it can lead to. Perfectionism. You and I try our very best to be perfect. We try to look like the best version of anyone else in the room. The problem is we're human beings, and there's no possible way we can be perfect. We are going to drop the ball somewhere, but frustration digs in because we can't achieve that perfectionism, so it leads to some emotional outburst. And sometimes we get angry, and there is guilt associated with that anger. And so we try even harder to be that perfect person that Satan says we can't be. And we get more and more angry until finally, after a period of time, we become tired and fatigued. We are absolutely spent physically, emotionally, mentally. And when we get to that point in life, then we look for escapes. We look for ways where we might can control the outcome where we feel better about ourselves, And so we take our life and we pour ourselves into work, our career. We pour ourselves into maybe a new relationship where we feel loved. We go and spend money we don't have on a new decorating project in the home. Or maybe we just get on the web and we surf and we go to some locations that any disciple of Jesus Christ should never be at. But we want to escape the way Satan has made us feel. And our enemy loves it. Because when you get to that point in your life and you've bought into the lie and you believe it, 
that's when you and I break. Because we can't take it. We can't do it anymore. We buy the lie that we don't have what it takes. And our enemy sits back and smiles because we have memorized his script. But the thing about this particular lie and why we started here is it does have some truth in it. You don't have what it takes. You see, it's not the whole truth. Here is the whole truth. In Jesus, you have everything you need to accomplish all things in life. Are you guys here this morning? Jesus Christ has affected your life to a very positive realm. You do have what it takes because of Jesus Christ. Paul reminded us of this in Philippians chapter 4. He says in verse 11, I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Amen. Amen. Oh, we can conquer anything, church, if we've got Jesus Christ within us. We can do anything. We can look at Satan as he talks to us and say, you haven't read my real script, have you? Because in Christ, I am empowered. You can look at the enemy and say, you know, I may not have what it takes, but I know who does. And I'm on his side. He's got my back. I'm in with him. And Satan leans in and says, oh, you're, you're too weak. You're too distracted. You're too inconsistent. But what we know is that Jesus Christ is none of those things. His grace is sufficient. His grace is enough. He's got whatever it takes for you and I to get through life and to leave the comparison game behind. And you and I can wake up like the prophet Jeremiah in Lamentations 3 every single morning and say, His mercies are new every morning. Great is His faithfulness unto me. He pours himself upon me. He loves me. And we can feel the wholeness that comes with having Jesus Christ in our life. We can live that ignited lifestyle that we've talked about all year long. Be free, church, from the pressure that Satan is telling you that you are supposed to have. And enjoy the perfection of Jesus Christ. You see, if you felt helpless in your life, know that Jesus Christ wants to give you help. If you have felt hurting in your life or you're going through a period of hurting right now, know that Jesus Christ wants to heal you. Maybe you have felt overwhelmed in your life. Know that Jesus Christ wants to give you His peace. If you have felt confused in your life, know that He wants to impart His wisdom to you. You're at a fork in a road. You're not sure what to do. Know that Jesus Christ is there with you. Don't stress. Don't be anxious. Because he lives within you. If you have felt lost, know that Jesus Christ is looking for you. His desire is to find you and bring you back to rest with him. You don't have what it takes without Jesus Christ in your life.
And I don't know about you, but I want Jesus Christ in my life. Because everything that Satan throws at me will bounce right off because of what Christ did for me on the cross. And we look into that empty tomb and we know that he has risen. He sits at the right hand of God. He is everything that you and I need in life. So don't buy the script. Don't lean in when Satan leans in to you and listen to what he has to say. He's filling you full of things that you don't need to hear. Know that his father tongue, his mother tongue, native language is lying. But God has truth in Christ Jesus. I'm going to invite Brad and the praise team back to the stage at this time. And my hope for you is that you will embrace the message today. And if there's something in your life that has got you anxious and worried and nervous, maybe you feel that you just don't measure up, understand that God's already said, with my son, you do measure up. My hope is that you've embraced his son. Maybe at some point in your life you did that through baptism, but yet you still feel that anxiousness. I want to encourage you this morning to go see one of our shepherds. They'll be gathered along the wall of this room and let that couple pray over you and for you to ask the power of the Holy Spirit to be within you so that you can combat whatever Satan is throwing at you each and every day. And maybe you don't have that power of the Holy Spirit living within you. Today's the day to be baptized. To say, I want to declare Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I want to serve him and him alone. I'm tired of worrying about life. I'm tired of leaning into the script that doesn't really belong to me. I want to hear what God has for me. Today's that day. I don't want you to wait. Don't leave this room without making yourself right with Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Let's stand together.